dark secret place. This radioactivity is coming from Brian Suits on KFI. I would bomb the shit out of him. Dark secret place with Brian Suits on KFI. KFI AM, 640 more stimulating talk. It is the dark secret place. Brian sits in here until 10 p.m. talking Singapore. Singapore for two reasons. Because of the Shangri-La dialogues that are ongoing there. Secretary of Defense Jim Mattis, uh, you you only call him Mad Dog if you want your career to come to a uh, a quick and flaming end. Um, drawing a line, calling out China for just manufacturing islands, and this has become a uh, an annual event, uh, you know, kind of sorta. So we will um, we'll get to that. Uh, also, just you know, every once in a while, something rises to the top, and it makes me talk about gun safety, Second Amendment, gun rights, etc. And you know, there are people, there are people out there who say that you know, only the government should have guns; it should be like England and stuff, and only. Um, Law enforcement should have guns, and then that way criminals wouldn't have guns or something. I don't, I've never understood that argument. Uh, and, and by the way, uh, that's the quickest way to becoming a slave uh, because look at the countries where only the government has guns. So, and so anyway, the, what, what I'm getting to is story coming in uh, early this morning in Denver, very, 12.45 a.m. So it's, you know, it's, uh, for, for party rules, it's still Friday night, 12.45 a.m., in Denver, a off-duty FBI agent was at a bar partying, and he was dancing in 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 in, in like a big dancing circle. He was out there in the middle, uh, doing some really dorky moves, and he it was all a setup to do a backflip. He does the backflip. His off-duty Glock comes out of his waistband, hits the astroturf, uh, the dance floor at the bar. When he finishes the, the backflip, grabs the Glock. And picks it up by the trigger and negligent, negligently discharges around and wounds a patron at the bar where he's been drinking. So we'll, we'll get to that because uh, details are coming in. I mean, this is, this is a combination of dumbassery and douchebaggery um, that would get uh, anyone in any other competent law enforcement agency a uh, several-month-long uh, sabbatical, if, if not their walking papers. In my world... It's your walking papers, especially in the FBI. This is one of the inherent problems with the FBI is uh, to even apply to be a, a field agent. There was a time when you either had to have a law degree or be an accountant. So you, you take people who come from, uh, you know, non-law enforcement backgrounds. They're, the mental uh, acuity of people in the FBI is, is not a question. They're, they're generally very, very smart people. Are they street smart? Uh, you can ask local law enforcement about that. But then you take those people and you add a layer called firearms to them, and this is what you get. So anyway, it's kind of, it reminds me of Dr. Stanley Goodspeed, uh, as played by Nicolas Cage. And the, the famous quote from that documentary, The Rock, um, about Alcatraz, <clears throat> when um, well, I'll, find, I'll find the quote, but, uh, but he, he said, earlier you wanted a gun, now you want a gun and a wetsuit. <laughs> so anyway. Uh, well, it is back on the uh, June 12th summit uh, in Singapore, and th the physical security uh, preparations have been ongoing now for a couple weeks, really since it was announced. Uh, what, what happened initially is a um, Western Pacific, a Asia theater, a PACCOM, Pacific Command, 
uh, special forces team um, was dispatched to Singapore to meet with a advanced party of the U.S. Secret Service and the FBI, as well as embassy people. And they went to a couple different locations that they were given, but they settled on one. And so it appears that at least either the summit happens at this one location or at least President Trump will be at this one location. And the uh, the location, um, is, it looks like it's, it's sort of a slam dunk. It's a really amazing hotel. Uh, if, if you've never been to Singapore, if you know nothing about Singapore, uh, here's the, the quick version. Singapore is one of the few city-states uh, that still exist on the face of the earth. There was a time when uh, Florence was a city-state and Venice was a uh, city-state. Uh, today, in 2018, we're left with the Vatican as a city-state and uh, Singapore. The Vatican ain't got no Air Force. Uh, and, and they do have the Swiss Guard, but uh, the Swiss Guard are really no threat to anyone uh, with uh, any sort of firearm in any way, shape, or form. But they, but however, if you come at them with pointy sticks, they will, they will, they will be your man, sir. Um, Singapore, however, way different deal. Singapore is an extremely prosperous, innovative, hardworking place, um, a, a place that really, really enjoys business and wealth. Uh, they punch far above their weight in the world economy. Uh, do they make stuff? Well, they make money grow. It's one thing they do. They also make money uh, be secure. Uh, and Singapore does have a, a extremely uh, well-trained, very accomplished military. They they have uh, an air force, a navy. They have a ground force. Even though Singapore's tiny, and and literally, uh, literally, if you if you took the area, and you're going to have to use your 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 mental map here. If you took the area in the valley that is bound by I five going north. And then the 170, not 405, but the 170, which is halfway between I-5 and 405, right? So if you took I-5 to the east, the 170 to the west, and then uh, 134, Glendale Freeway, up up to I-5, that sort of that roughly that triangle that I'm describing, that's Singapore. And you know what? That's slightly bigger than Singapore. And it's it's a the reason it's a good analogy is because uh, the Burbank Airport, I guess we can't call it Bob Hope anymore, is sort of in roughly in the same position. Uh, Singapore is dominated by their international airport. It, it is uh, besides the DMZ in in in, in Asia. Uh, Singapore is a remarkably secure place, very discreet. The Singaporean government very very close to the U.S. government. There's a de facto mutual defense pact. Basically, uh, Singapore for their oh crap plan. If anything ever happens to Singapore, the U.S. comes to its defense. Uh, their primary border is with Malaysia. Uh, Malaysia, of course, is a vast, vast nation. Uh, at the end of the Malay Peninsula, <clears throat> Singapore has been there for several hundred years. And Singapore really doesn't have any sort of strategic existential uh, threats. Uh, and so they have enjoyed their position for for many decades, uh, being at the, at, at the pivot point, the fulcrum of the Indian Ocean and the Pacific, and also being a crossroads for money and, uh, and et cetera. So Singapore... Um, at the last minute here, people are saying, well, they might at the last second, this might be a head fake. Singapore is a head fake. And they're really actually going to do it there at the DMZ at the treaty village at Panmunjom. It doesn't seem likely at this point for a couple of reasons. It's because Kim Jong-un likes pageantry and you know who else likes pageantry? You know who else likes bling and shiny golden stuff? You're right. The president of the United States, Donald Trump. 
And he has a connection with Singapore that uh, leads us to conclude that we know where at least he will stay, possibly where the uh, summit will take place. I'll tell you where that is when we come back. It is a dark secret place. Brian sits in here until midnight. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. Forty more stimulating talk. This is a dark secret place. Brian sits in here until midnight, and it's uh, sad that it's come to this. But uh, this this rift between Neil Savidra and his fork report has uh, sadly burst out here in the public. Uh, he made charges against me today during the show, and I I, uh, I heard those. I have to reiterate. I I never said Simon Majumdar. I just said he also it takes special. He takes food from special interests. One of them. From foreign special interests. Foreign special interests, one of them an Englishman. Simon Majumdar, now an American, but he was from England. Oh. So I'm, I'm saying that. And then, uh, but we, we do get to see who blinked first because what was waiting for me when I got here tonight, brisket. So the, the very same tactics that have corrupted the Fork Report into getting your radio vote uh, or what he tried to bribe me with. And I, I will have you know that that brisket will be warming the belly of a certain three-footed dog a little later on tonight. But I will, I will not give in to that kind of bribery. That's a lucky dog. I refuse. Uh, and it's really good. I have no idea what special interest gave it to him, but uh, I recommend them. Um, and also, before I play this, uh, this Trump audio, I, I told him I would do this. Uh, er earlier today, I was filling in for this national show called The Weekend with Joe Peggs. And when I was done, there's a, there's a chain of markets down here in the Southland called 99 Ranch Market. And not the 99 only stores, not the 99 cent store, uh, stores, but 99 Ranch Market. It's the Asian market, and they're all over, oddly enough, they're all over Glendale and the Costa Mesa and all that. But there's one here in the Valley, and I always go to it um, for certain foods that I grew up with in uh, Hawaii. Um, and, uh, and, you know, genuine kimchi and all this stuff. So I, I, I bought my stuff. I'm in line. The guy behind me is buying a flat of duck eggs. So I get into a conversation with this guy because I was wondering how much they were charging per egg. It was like $1.79 per egg. It makes me want to get a duck again. But, but uh, so we're talking, and I paid with Google Pay because I, I've been doing that now for like well over a year. I've been Apple Pay or Google Pay because I like the electronic receipt. I don't like pulling out a credit card, but I had already pulled out my credit cards and laid them on the table. So I'm distracted talking to this guy. I scan my phone, pay for it. Um, they bag it. I put it in the cart and I say, all right, well, enjoy the duck eggs. And I walk away and I leave behind all my credit cards, uh, my ID, uh, my, my driver's licenses from various states of the United States, uh, maybe or not. I might be just saying that. And then all the credit cards, VAID, all this stuff. I leave it behind, um, get in the car, drive home. Um, hours later, I realize that that stuff is unaccounted for. I turn the house upside down. And then I realize, oh, you know what? Maybe I left it on the counter at a supermarket in Los Angeles. Wow. And any, any, I don't want to name it's your names. entire life right there. <clears throat> yes. And I use. I don't know if you've ever seen what I use for a wallet. You know that rubber band that comes around the broccoli? You know that? <laughs> yeah, the big green one. Yeah. yeah. The big fat one. Oh, I, I call it a broccoli wallet. So I, that's what I, it's what I keep all my stuff in, is a broccoli wallet. 
like a mobster or something, you know? And I called down there and I said, hey, um, I, I left a bunch of credit cards down there around 1235 today. And the lady just says, what's your name? And I gave her my name and she goes, yeah, we have them. And I said, you have, is there a Chase card? Yeah. Is there a Wells card? Yeah. Is there a PayPal card? Yeah. Is there a ID, a driver's license from this one place and then this other place? And, and if, and, and she said, yes, 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 yes. I said, so it's all there. And she goes, yeah. And, and I was down there at eight uh, thirty. I drove down four oh five. Go in there, uh, and the the guy actually said, "Do you have some ID?" <laughs> I went, Grab anything in there and hold it up against my face. And and he laughed. And uh, and I checked out with the ID. So I just I just wanted a huge shout out to ninety nine Ranch Market. Uh, I'm absolutely blown away. Um, that I, was it's, crazy. Yeah, I mean, I you know in in any I promise anywhere else in Los Angeles, you leave something like that. I, I I don't know. They'd be I, on. I, they'd be on the phone to Best Buy. Yeah, I don't want to say anywhere. I know there's loads of places like I like Toluca Lake. You might be surprised. Great, yeah, yeah, you know, and, and I know her here in Burbank probably now, but I, but I've been to so many places, and and, uh, and 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 like like that one time. I'm such a genius. My daughter and I went to Costco, and I had my phone in my pocket with my cash. Pulled the phone out, cash drops to the floor. And that was, of course, the day I brought $600 bills to Costco. Of course, it's gone. But I realized the cash was gone. I called back to Costco, and the lady just said, ha, 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 And she said, call back tomorrow morning. I called back the next day. She said, no, no one turned in 600 cash. No one turned in 100 cash. No one turned in $1 cash. So, so, uh, so that's my frame of reference on this one. Because my wife and I were getting ready to do the phone calls and cancel the cards. And so they said, yeah, we got it. It was there. So anyway, yeah, the, uh, the person at Costco, the one who looks especially giddy buying up a <laughs> bunch of booze, that's probably the one. I know. It. I should have, you know, but uh, I'm still burned by it. It was just a year ago that that happened. That, and, yeah, that hurts. Oh, so pissed about that. But no, these guys, uh, it was down there. They were responsible. And I've never had a bad experience at 99 Ranch Market. Great, uh, great place. Great food. Great peanuts uh, and great hot bar and all that. So uh, anyway, and they do stock Asahi and all of its various uh, container sizes. So anyway, there's my uh, whorish shout out because I owe them big time. All right. So the president met with uh, Kim Kim Young Chol uh, yesterday. He he is the spy master of North Korea. He's the terror master, the counterintelligence master. If you need something blown up, sunk, killed, or if you need three generations of dissidents thrown into the same work camp, he is the guy who's been doing it for Kim Jong Un as well as his dad. Um, that is how he's been advanced. He's not a good guy. He's a villain. Um, it's interesting seeing a lot of media uh, who who are um, chortling about Trump uh, sucking, not sucking up, but smiling and laughing with this guy. And 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 someone shot Jim Shudo from CNN, who was saying that saying, "Here's Trump smiling next to a man who's responsible for over two hundred thousand people being dead and all this crap." And someone shot him back a picture of Obama laughing his ass off as he sh- as he shakes. Hugo Chavez's hand. So anyway, here's Trump. Um, he's received the letter from Kim Young-chol. Um, he came out after uh, Kim left, and he got the letter from Kim Jong-un. He comes out and he dresses the media. And, and there's something really weird that happens here. Because here at the beginning, he says it's a phenomenal letter. Wouldn't you like to know what's in it? And then eight minutes later, he says he didn't open the letter. The letter was given to me by Kim Jong-un, and that letter was... Uh... 
Very nice letter. Oh, would you like to see what was in that letter? Yeah, would you like? How much? How much? How much? Uh, it was a very interesting letter, and at some point, I may be. It may be appropriate. It may be. I'll be able to give it to you. Maybe you'll. Okay. So, does anyone here have any other impression except that he knows what's in the letter? He said, "Wouldn't you like to know what's in it?" It's a very interesting letter. I thought he said he didn't open it. That was eight minutes later. Oh. <laughs> here he's saying that he knows what's in the letter. So let's fast forward eight minutes. Oh. Be able to see it, and maybe fairly soon. What was your response to the letter? Did you send anything back? I haven't seen the letter yet. I purposely didn't open the letter. Huh? I haven't opened it. Rewind. I didn't the letter yet. I purposely didn't open the letter. I haven't opened it. I didn't open it in front of the director. I said, would you want me to open it? He said, you can read it later. I may be in for a big surprise, folks. <laughs> Like the there's a DVD of Rick Astley in there, <laughs> and he plays never going to give you up. Um, well, I so I don't know. We'll have to parse this when we come back. We'll talk about this a little more. And what hotel is Trump going to be staying at? The answer is actually really, really obvious once you know the information, and it doesn't require knowing where a certain group of U.S. Army special operations guys are booked. That has nothing to do with it. If you just simply know who owns the hotel. Then in Singapore, then you know it becomes crystal clear where Trump is going to stay for June 12th. Back right after this, the Dark Secret Place, doing some open source sleuthing here on the on the Dark Secret Place, KFI AM640, more stimulating talk. Don't you ever worry about a thing. KFI AM640, the Dark Secret Place. Brian suits in here until midnight. Next hour, a uh, James Mattis update. Uh, and a uh, stupid FBI agent dancing with his off-duty gun at a bar in Denver update. Just hours old, that story. So we'll uh, we'll get to that. Sadly, I don't have any actual sound of it, but we do have a sound of the, the sound of a, a Denver news crew freaking out about it. Um, well, where are you going to be on June 12th, anybody? Um, if you're going to be in Singapore, it might be kind of a, a, a tough way to go. Hey, if you're going to be in San Diego on June 14th, uh, I'm doing my my first San Diego area live show. It's going to be June 14th at the Carlsbad Dave and Buster's. So if you're down there in San Diego, then uh, you can buy two tickets for 25 bucks, and I will uh, put that event up at the Facebook page, and I will it'll be the pinned tweet on uh, on Twitter. But uh, June 14th, Thursday night, eight to 10 p.m. at the Carlsbad. Uh, Dave and Buster's live show. If you've never been to any one of my live shows, I'll show you some home movies. There'll be folksy anecdotes, uh, gratuitous swear words. There'll be lots of drinking um, and uh, all kinds of stuff. And, uh, and of course, I'll pay off this joke. Here's the setup. I won't do it on air, but the setup is, did you hear about the blind hooker? So if you remind me down there on June 14th, I'll give you the punchline uh, to that particular joke. So uh, where is Trump going to stay? There is, of course, a U.S. embassy in Singapore, but those are very, you know, Spartan utilitarian uh, places. And, and, and uh, of, of all the, the rough postings, Singapore is not a rough posting. It's just that space is at a premium in Singapore. So the U.S. embassy in Singapore is not real big. And uh, so that doesn't suit uh, a presidential uh, security detail, the advanced party, State Department people, all that. So it needs to be a pretty big venue because who's going on June 12th? Uh, well, Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, uh, is going. <clears throat> um, the uh, new Director of Central Intelligence, uh, uh, Gina Halpern, is going. Uh, I mean, Haspel uh, is going, uh, of course. Jim Mattis is already in Singapore right now. 
he might stay. He probably won't, but uh, he, he probably will be there. Possibly, very, very. Uh, he he's relevant uh, to the discussion, so chances are he'll be there. So there will be a very large entourage of Americans there. So what place can hold all those Americans and possibly even fo- uh, uh, host uh, the talks? And then also, by the way, did you know that the North Koreans are very quietly trying to find a way for us to pay for their hotel? So they're a nuclear power. You know, keep in mind they they've dumped billions into achieving uh, a production model H-bomb and an ICBM to deliver it to the United States. But they want us to pick up their hotel. We're not even going Dutch. It's pick up our hotel. And I'll tell you that here in just a second. Well, here's um, the information that is easily accessible to all of you. So I'm not giving up any secrets when I say this. Um, You can draw your own conclusions. But there is a Las Vegas hotelier named Sheldon Edelman. Very, very wealthy billionaire Republican donor. He was one of the early donors in 2014 and 2015 to a uh, dark horse Republican candidate named Donald Trump. Uh, Because Sheldon Edelman goes back years with Donald Trump. And he contributed to Trump. Um, He likes uh, hedging his bets. He's not a dummy. He contributed to other uh, Republicans as well. But uh, he knows Trump. He contributed to, to Trump. Uh, Sheldon Adelman doesn't just own casinos in Las Vegas. He owns hotels, in fact, all around the world. And as we spin the old Globe Reno and we stop it on Singapore, on a crucial strategic Pacific choke point, Singapore, uh, the waterway between the Indian Ocean and the Pacific Ocean. And, and by the way, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but the, the Department of Defense officially began saying Indo-Pacific, no longer Pacific theater. It's now Indo-Pacific. We've now folded... India and the Indian Ocean into one big thing, because as it turns out, it's one big thing. So it's now Indo-Pacific. Well, there in Singapore, if you want to stay at one of the nicest places, then you're going to want to go, but you don't want to be right downtown. You want to be in a beautiful, luxurious place, um, 40 stories, three different towers, joined at the top with a gigantic rooftop pool and bar then you'll want to go to the Marina Bay Sands Hotel, owned by Sheldon Edelman. Um, here's uh, my description of, of the physical building is this. It's, uh, it's uh, easily isolated from the rest of Singapore uh, by putting checkpoints and guard posts on one of two different causeways. Uh, it's on its own sandbar, uh, sort of off water from Singapore proper. The three towers... Uh, are not built in perfect alignment. They're at, in sort of a curve, one, one, two, sort of like one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, right? But spanning across the rooftops is a rooftop bar and pool complex that is so extravagant that if you look at it on Google Earth or Google Maps, if you go to Google Maps right now and you switch to satellite view, or if you go on Google Earth and you zoom in to Singapore and you look for the Marina Bay Sands, what what it looks like from above is a cruise ship. It looks like a cruise ship 40 stories above Singapore. So the rooftop bar has a bow and it has a stern. So from the top, it looks like you took the Titanic and you bent it a little bit around an iceberg. And there's a pool on the left side running the length of this fake boat. You go all the way up, you, uh, you zoom up to the front, there's a bridge. 
with casinos and a couple different restaurants and bars. And then there's an actual bow uh, that has wood decking on it. I mean, it really, I, I don't, all I can tell you is it looks like the Titanic. It looks like somebody parked the Titanic on top of three towers. It, it is so over the top. It's absolutely phenomenal. And it screams out loud, I wish President Trump would stay at me. And so um, the connection, as I say, owned by Sheldon Edelman, um, its security is guaranteed by the, uh, the, the Royal Police uh, there at Singapore. Singapore's law enforcement is based completely on Scotland Yard. The Brits, uh, Singapore was a British colony for 200 years. Uh, if Martians land and say, take us to your gin and tonic, okay, you're going to the Raffles Hotel in Singapore, which is downtown. So anyway, um, I'm here to tell you, betting dollars to donuts, uh, that Trump and the American entourage are staying at the Marina Bay Sands Hotel there in Singapore. Where is Kim going to stay? Well, uh, believe it or not, this is according to the Seattle Times, the North Koreans are very discreetly, because they don't want to, when we whip out our entourage and our security people, the North Koreans don't want to whip out something smaller. They want to they bring a big posse. Problem is, they don't want to pay for it. And I'm not kidding. They have nuclear weapons. They have ICBMs. They export meth and counterfeit money. They don't want to pay 6000 bucks a night for a presidential suite. They want us to do it. Um, so I'll, how, how is that even possible? I know. And you know what? Isn't that so embarrassing? Literally, it's legally impossible because of the sanctions we have again. We would have to, Congress would actually have to pay, uh, pass a waiver for us to uh, pay for lodging for the North Koreans. Um, but they have us over a barrel. If they want us to, if they, if we want them to show up, we, we're going to have to pay for their hotel. And by the way, there's a precedent for this. And I'll tell you what that's, that is right after this. It was uh, Bill Handel's guest on Friday was a former director of national intelligence, James Clapper. He has a hilarious story from 2014 about if, if you're going to visit North Korea, be sure to bring your wallet. Uh, so I'll tell you about it. Can the U.S. pay for Kim Jong-un's hotel room? What he's asking for, I'll, uh, we'll get delve into this right after this. It is a dark secret place. Brian suits in here till midnight. KFI AM six forty. More stimulating talk. Right. And so all they're blowing. That sounds like mechanical stuff. No, that's really uh, those are bagpipes. I like bagpipes. I'm sorry. I don't know why people think it sounds like a goat dying. You, it's either I, either hate them or love them. I know. I've, I've heard dying goats. We, um, yeah, I, I grew up with those things. And whenever whenever a McLeod dies up in Vancouver, we, my uncle Ray always hired a piper for my, my when my nana croaked, uh, when uh, when Grandpa McLeod croaked, uh, when his younger brother died of cancer, uh, when his son, my cousin Mike, uh, died of cancer, uh, pipers. Uh, when my mom died, Piper, we, the McLeods always uh, get the dirt bath with a Piper, with a Piper blowing. And uh, and a good one. There's always the same guy. And my uncle paid paid the guy like two or three hundred bucks. Canadian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it was like 90 cents. But uh, but uh, no, I, I like the bagpipes. I always have. Um, and so uh, there we are in Singapore. June 12th uh, is North Korea going to stiff us with the bill? Well, trying, they're trying to avoid that. This is a true thing. The mundane but diplomatic, diplomatically fraught billing issue is just one of numerous logistical concerns. At an island resort off the coast of Singapore, U.S. event planners are working day and night with their North Korean counterparts. Where's their pride? <laughs> hilarious? Um, that, that they can't come up with the money for about a three or 400 people entourage 
uh, they, you know, they they can't like go to Singapore and say, look, well, maybe we'll give you an ICBM. Maybe let's, let's just say an ICBM shows up at the airport. We don't know where it came from. It's yours. You're a nuclear clad. You're a nuclear power. You're all you're you're out fifty pounds of smoked salmon and uh, and uh, two hundred sweets. You know, seriously. So, the, in a particularly awkward logistical issue remains unresolved. According to two people familiar with the talks, who's going to pay for Kim Jong Un's hotel stay? Uh, the prideful but cash poor pariah state requires that a foreign country foot the bill at its preferred lodging. This is uh, the Fullerton, a magnificent neoclassical hotel near the mouth of the Singapore River, where just one presidential suite costs more than six thousand a night. The mundane but diplomatically fraught billing issue. Uh, is one of uh, numerous logistical concerns. Uh, the White House Deputy Chief of Staff Joe Hagan and Kim's de facto Chief of Staff Kim Chang Sun uh, are working on this, and in all likelihood, uh, that that part is behind them. We probably have agreed to pay for their step. After weeks of uncertainty, President Donald Trump called off the summit last week. Um, uh, however, uh, he said uh, Friday that he would attend as initially planned. A Korea expert at the Council on Foreign Relations, Scott Snyder, said it's an ironic and telling deviation from North Korea's insistence on being treated on an equal footing. When it comes to paying for lodging in North Korea's preferred five-star luxury hotel, the U.S. is open to covering the costs. But it's mindful that the North may view a U.S. payment as insulting. As a result, U.S. planners are considering asking the host country, Singapore, to comp North Korea. Uh, the heavily sanctioned and isolated government has a long history of making bold monetary demands. Um, South Korea had to foot the bill for the North Korean cheerleaders to go to the Winter Olympics a couple months ago. They were, I didn't know that. The South Koreans, the North Koreans said, all right, we will accept your invitation to the Olympics, but you have to pay for the female hockey players, all their gear. Uh, you have to pay for the rest of the hockey team. Then also we send cheerleaders and you have to pay uh, the bill. For the uh, the twenty two athletes and the uh, the eighty cheerleaders, so South Korea paid that bill <clears throat> uh, instead of saying pound sand. You want to be part of our Olympics? You know, pony up. The South Koreans paid for it. So listen to this story. It's two thousand fourteen. James Clapper, uh, a retired general, director of national intelligence, James Clapper, who's pimping a book now. He was on with Handel on Friday. He visited North Korea in two thousand fourteen to retrieve two prisoners. His North Korean hosts served him a, quote, elaborate 12-course Korean meal. Then they insisted he pay for it. Uh, an expert on Korea at Tufts University, Sung Yoon Lee, said these norms were laid out in the early 2000s when Seoul's so-called sunshine policy took off. I hope he gave him American Express. <laughs> I know. Um, or check. Do you, do you take checks? Can, do you mind if I post-date this? Is that okay? It's fine. Believe me, it's good. Here's my phone. Here's my phone number. Everything's current on that. North Korea can build nukes and ICBMs, but claim they're too poor to pay for foreign travel costs. Any payment for North Korea's accommodations would run afoul of Treasury Department sanctions, uh, says Elizabeth Rosenberg, former Treasury official. The transaction would require the Office of Foreign Asset Control to temporarily suspend the sanctions through a waiver. The U.S. is expected to request these waivers from the U.N. and the Treasury for a range of payments associated with North Korea's travel so uh, this is this is the bottom line. We are paying to meet with them in Singapore. You know, all of a sudden the DMZ looks a lot better. Um, all of a sudden we're already there. We've been there since 1953. The army's all over the place. Uh, the North Koreans are already home. They just have to stand step backwards two feet. So all of a sudden the DMZ is looking a hell of a lot better than Singapore. Got gas money? 
Uh, you know what? I bet you this is going to cost more than Trump's parade that he wants on July 4th. It's going to be 30 oh, so million. Oh, still pushing that? Still pushing that. It's going to be 30 million bucks. Um, and I, how much you want to bet? Or is it November 11th? I forgot. Either one. I bet you this caper in Singapore winds up costing more than that parade. Uh, we'll be back. Hour number two, uh, James Mattis update. And uh, the British have an aircraft carrier. They're promptly sending it to America. That and more coming up. KFI AM640, more stimulating talk. From Texas to California at nearly the speed of sound. On his return, Americans showed their gratitude. Turning around, right back for Los Angeles. Los Angeles went all out in its reception. In just a hair over two hours, two times as fast as the speed of sound. It made me a member of the club. Now, it may never be used in anger. We hope and pray it never will. But if it is... existential threat to us. You know, the American people should feel confident that, um, you know, we have a good uh, holiday season. Oh, my God. KFI AMC 40 more stimulating talk. It is a dark secret place, and I get to play the long version because the boss is on vacation. <clears throat> um, boy, that's dated because Obama's there at the end of it. But uh, so anyway. Uh, well, so a little later on, a Jim Mattis update. SecDef is uh, in Singapore for the Shangri-La Dialogues, which are a annual thing that the IISS, uh, the International Institute for Strategic Studies in London, uh, does. <clears throat> and um, government officials from uh, the U.S., Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, Vietnam, China, uh, all again, um, uh, now India. Uh, get up there and talk about common interests and strategic goals and, uh, and the whole thing. The last couple of years, the themes have been, why is China building gigantic uh, islands out of little coral reefs? And why are they putting aircraft on them and, uh, and the whole thing? So, so Jim Mattis uh, called the Chinese out this year, like he did last year, and the Chinese uh, reacted. <clears throat> so we'll, uh, we'll get to that. Uh, well, so the uh, the British now are um, paying more and more attention to the events in the South China Sea, and a part of the reason they're doing it is because the Queen Elizabeth is uh, not just uh, christened and at sea and doing its sea trials, but the uh, the Brits' first uh, new aircraft carrier in many decades. They their last carrier they decommissioned a few years ago, and it it led to a discussion about whether or not the Royal Navy should have naval aviation at all. And uh, it, it was just as a as a matter of, of, of record, uh, the the Royal Navy pioneered naval aviation um, probably at a faster pace than the U.S. Navy did. Of course, it was an American in up in San Francisco Bay named Eugene Eli who first proved the concept of shooting a plane off a boat, off a ship, uh, and the ship was at anchor. And I want to say it was 1911, 1912. Um, and then later on that day, uh, he landed at Moffett Field. Later on that day, he took off, and he landed on a, 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 a adapted uh, U.S. Navy ship on the stern. So it was an American that proved the concept. But the British were were all a lot of innovations in naval aviation were uh, were British. And so it's it's a, it's a weird period of time here where the Royal Navy doesn't have a boat. Well, now they do. It's the Queen Elizabeth. 
Uh, and it's a big carrier. It's it's far bigger than the carriers uh, that they retired of the past uh, 30 years. It's it's uh, uh, recently it's steamed in formation with the Gerald Ford, uh, the new American carrier with the new super swaggy um, electronic electromagnetic uh, catapult. Um, it's it's uh, the British carrier is is a little shorter, um, displacing less water. And of course, the British don't have catapults. The British are going to be operating the F-35B, which is the vertical takeoff version. Uh, the U.S. Marine Corps were first uh, in service with the F-35. Um, the, I think there's a run the, of the first 20 that were made. Four of them are British. The British owned and the British flown. They're flown at Edwards by British pilots, uh, and they will be signed over to the Royal Navy. But the, for the Royal Navy's point on this, it's, well, why do we need them until the carrier is ready to go? So the uh, the Queen Elizabeth, as it's uh, been christened, is uh, working out at sea legs. Can't they come up with another name? And well, everything that's, they got. I, you know, that's the thing is for a capital ship like this. You know, the the British have one of the one of the great names for a naval ship of all time. The British have a submarine called the HMS Ambush. <laughs> you know, they named it's funny because the British will name sh- ships after verbs. Um, and uh, we don't. We name them after places and people. You know, that's that's our thing. But the British will have the repulse, um, and uh, the victorious, and the ambush. But <clears throat> when they go big, they have to go big. And so Queen Elizabeth, it is, and uh, and it's it's a big boat. <laughs> and who knows? Maybe the day after she dies, they rename it. You know, they won't do that though. But but like the French carrier is the Charles de Gaulle uh, of of course. Uh, we have at this point we're running out of people to to name ships. Uh, Jimmy Carter didn't get a carrier, and the, the and the the stink was, well, uh, it was at the Navy's naming commission disrespecting Jimmy Carter. The way they got around that was they named a nuclear attack sub, the Jimmy Carter, because Jimmy Carter was a Naval Academy graduate, uh, and he was a nuclear submariner, uh, or as he says, nuclear. So they named a sub after Jimmy Carter, but Jimmy Carter was an opponent of naval aviation. So that was sort of the Navy uh, giving him a big, big uh, middle finger. Um, so for the for the Brits, the Queen Elizabeth and its complement of F-35s are probably about two or three years from, from marrying up. But that's not going to stop them from doing all the flight deck testing. So they'll be the, the QE, the Queen Elizabeth, will be off the east coast of the United States here within a few weeks, sailing up and down. Uh, and and testing out, in this case, it, it will be U.S. Marine Corps aircraft going on the Queen Elizabeth, uh, probably at the controls of of, uh, of Brits. And so the British are back in naval aviation in, in a big way. But they're, they're still uh, – American naval aviation is not compatible with their boat. They don't have arresting gear. They don't have a, a ship that can take American naval aviation. They can't launch it because the British have a ski jump at the bow of their carrier, as they have since the Harrier days. They don't have catapults. Their, their last catapult carrier they sold to India. Um, so the, the, the only other carriers that the U.S. Navy is compatible with is the French carrier, the Charles de Gaulle, where quite literally French aircraft can go and land on any U.S. Navy carrier. The U.S. Navy aircraft can go land on the de Gaulle. Uh, and we we do these exercises where we send maintenance teams to the De Gaulle. They send maintenance teams to the Nimitz or whatever. They land their planes on the Nimitz. We change engines, you know, and all that. Cannot do that with the Brits, except for the the F thirty fives and the uh, and the helicopters. But the British, uh, this is a significant investment for them. 
uh, and they are uh, they are very 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 proud of the QE and getting back to naval aviation uh, in a uh, in a big way. Um, th- there's a kind of obscure story where the United States leased a Swedish submarine. Uh, this is a this is very hush hush. It's, it's it's an open secret. It's not it's not even a secret. Um, but uh, there there have been times that the United States has looked at uh, British frigates as replacements for some American ships. Now the British are looking at uh, American mass produced uh, frigates and air defense uh, 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 combat ships because we make them cheaper than the British can because we've we're we're making forty or fifty of them. So the British are saying, well, let's add on to some of this. Well, it's not often that we see someone else's submarine technology that we lust after. But in uh, a couple of years ago, uh, a Swedish submarine in a exercise, a Swedish submarine, non-nuclear. The Swedes are not a nuclear uh, you know, nation. They don't have a nuclear navy. Uh, they have a conventionally powered uh, diesel powered submarine force. But the Swedes have a submarine that is so quiet, so undetectable that in a simulated war game, it. It got through the American sub-defenses and sank the USS Ronald Reagan. So in, in return, we leased one of their subs for a year because we wanted to work out um, how we could incorporate their technology uh, into our subs. So, <clears throat> so, and then, by the way, and I know that we, we've talked about this in the, in the past, the, the Swedes are doing everything to be a de facto member of NATO. The, the uh, Swedish aircraft are flying missions over the Mediterranean uh, to acquire the signals of Russian air defense and to train their their air crews uh, how to operate in a in a Russian uh, in a Western versus Russia conflict. Uh, so the Swedes are decidedly not neutral right now. There there exercises in Finland involving the U.S. Marine Corps in tanks. Uh, the Swedes, the Finns, and the Norwegians. Uh, are happening left and right. The Swedes are not hiding the fact that they've chosen a side in Europe versus uh, Putin. So uh, there's uh, there's that. Um, uh, some updates of some stuff from Israel, stuff like that. Uh, but when we come back, a FBI agent just very well might have ended his career on the dance floor earlier this morning in Denver. We'll get to that. Uh, and a uh, Jim Mattis, Jim Mattis calling out the Chinese uh, in Singapore yesterday. That and more coming up right after this. It is a dark secret place. Brian Suits. In here to midnight at KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. It is a dark secret place. Brian Suits in here until midnight. Uh, when we come back, we'll have a Mad Dog Mattis update. And a reminder, the only people who ever called James Mattis Mad Dog were people uh, dead set on ending their careers. And it's funny you should mention that because... In uh, Denver, Colorado, early uh, this morning, uh, you know, Friday night, 12.45 a.m. Saturday morning, very early this morning, uh, off-duty FBI agent was partying, and uh, he was dancing, and he was showing off, and he thought he would show how awesome he was at a backflip. So here's here's the the situation. There's, uh, There's a bar. There's no sound with this, but... Um, but there is video. There's a bar. Uh, it's apparently like an outside deck. There's green astroturf. Uh, there's music apparently bumping away. And the guy's showing us all of his moves. And he's all he's setting up for a backwards flip, for a full backflip, right? And people have sort of cleared a dance area for him, kind of like a wedding reception or something. You know, they're all everyone's popping into the center and they're and they're dancing. So this guy takes his turn, gets out there, starts dancing. 
And when he does his backflip, uh, as he goes up and backwards, his off-duty weapon comes out of his inside-the-belt holster. He had a uh, in inside the waistband, what's called an IWB uh, uh, holster, uh, in, in the small of his back. He's wearing a, a blue long-sleeve shirt with the sleeves rolled up, so the tail of the shirt is going over his khaki uh, jeans or, or, or uh, his khakis or whatever. So he goes up, and the centrifugal force pulls a gun out of the holster. Gun falls on the ground. Uh, and as, as he completes the backflip, um, <clears throat> he falls forward and immediately sees his weapon there on the AstroTurf, right? And in one swift motion, he reaches out with his left hand. The guy's a lefty. Um, that's just the way it is. Sorry, I'm a lefty too, and I'll normally defend lefties. He reaches out with his left hand, and the weapon is a Glock. How do we know it's a Glock? Well, it, it, it's a Glock. Bottom line, it's a Glock. A Glock doesn't have an external safety. Uh, the, the Glock has what's called a trigger safety. There's a tiny little lever on the trigger. Uh, that is the safety. So when you're ready to fire the weapon, you uh, uh, you uh, take it off safe by depressing the trigger, right? So when he reaches forward to grab the weapon, he puts his finger on the trigger as he picks it up. The weapon immediately discharges. So he has a negligent discharge in a bar, and he hits somebody. Uh, there's also a big black burn mark on the AstroTurf. The guy recovers the weapon, um, puts it in his waistband. Now, no one, so far, nobody has sound with this, but the sound would basically go, bang, and then the sound of him pooping his pants, if he has any sense in his head. So the guy recovers the weapon, uh, puts it back in his waistband, and he holds his, both of his hands up like, hey, wasn't me. Sorry, nothing to see here, folks. I would I would like to hear the sound. I'm assuming uh, that people crap their pants, starting with him. You can see some of the patrons in the bar are um, are, are moving out of the way. Uh, there's a there's a woman sitting on like picnic. Is the reason I think it's outside is because there's picnic tables here. Anyway, here's a uh, Channel Nine in Denver. Here's their report on uh, on this story as it came in uh, late last night. Just into the Denver 7 newsroom, just in the last 20 minutes, Denver 7 viewers sent us this video of what appears to show that off-duty FBI agent doing a backflip. And look at this. This is at Mile High Spirits and Distillery in downtown Denver. His gun fell out of his holster. You see the flash from the gun go off. He goes to pick it up. Now, Denver police say they are working with the FBI to investigate this off-duty agent. A man was shot in leg, but police say he should be fine. We'll have much more on this video and this story coming up tonight on Denver 7 News at 10. Unbelievable. So no word out of Denver police about who this guy is. Evidently, he's an off-duty FBI agent from the Denver field office. Um, you know, and I don't care how promising his future is in the FBI or any of that. Uh, in my world, he's done. Uh, the, the negligent discharge and the absolute asshattery uh, uh, bringing, I, I get it, you know, for you cops, I get it. When you are off duty, you carry an off duty weapon. But, uh, my wife, when she was off duty, most cops I know when they're off duty, they don't carry into bars when they know they're bar hopping. They don't carry in into a bar, especially when they know they're going to be drinking. And I, I'm no breathalyzer, but, uh, I'm telling you that this guy had been drinking, uh, his reaction and his incompetence and in picking up the weapon. 
So uh, so anyway, we'll find it. We'll learn more uh, about this. But for all of you who say that only the government should have guns, uh, I want you to watch this uh, video. I tweeted it out at Dark Secret Place. You can check it out yourself uh, at Dark Secret Place on Twitter. Um, we haven't identified this guy yet, but uh, he did hit somebody. Uh, and even if he didn't accidentally hit someone, uh, the guy should still be gone. So anyway, there's your FBI up update. When we come back, uh, James Mattis at the International Institute of Strategic Studies Shangri-La Dialogue. This is an annual event in uh, in Asia, uh, in Singapore this year. Uh, and it is basically uh, a lot of smaller Asian nations really wishing that America would stand up to China. And for the second year in a row, Secretary of Defense James Mattis did it. China didn't like it. I'll play for you his remarks when we come back right after this. Dark Secret Place, Brian Suits in here until midnight on KFI AM 640. More stimulating talk. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. The Dark Secret Place, Brian Suits in here until midnight. And then Coast to Coast Weekend takes over. So uh, we better check up on James Mattis. Um, you heard uh, the SecDef uh, last hour. We we're talking about his role in the North Korea, the upcoming uh, June 12th summit, the big ass summit, not involving Kim Kardashian uh, in Singapore. Well, uh, Jim Mattis happens to be in Singapore right now for another event. Um, he's there for the annual International Institute of Strategic Studies, double I double S, uh, out of London. Uh, they have an annual event called the Shangri-La Dialogue, and this has been going on for a couple decades. And what effectively happens are uh, nations with a direct interest in the uh, events and evolution and growth and expansion of uh, the economies and militaries of nations that uh, rim the Pacific Ocean uh, get together in Singapore every year or some other rotating, you know, fairly neutral uh, place. But everyone likes Singapore. Um, <clears throat> and it is a place where your country uh, doubles down on foreign policy, maybe announces new foreign policy uh, initiatives, uh, reacts to foreign policy events. Uh, or let's say a nation, an unnamed nation, is creating islands uh, just in the middle of the South China Sea. Uh, in violation of international law and the U.N. Uh, Convention of the Law of the Sea, uh, including a, a U.N. Court of Arbitration finding from two years ago. Let, let's say a, a nation's doing that, and then they are building on these various uh, sort of fixed aircraft carriers that these islands have become. They're building long runways that can uh, that can handle bombers and transport aircraft. And then, oh, by the way, they're putting anti-aircraft Missiles and defenses, anti-ship missiles. They're putting electronic warfare systems on there, jammers, etc. <clears throat> Let's say a country's doing that. Um, the net effect is that the nations of the Pacific Rim uh, look to the United States to provide leadership in a situation such as that. And and what an amazing coincidence! There's a real life analog to that with uh, China, of course. Uh, making Mischief Reef and uh, Woody Island and the rest of these into uh, fixed aircraft carriers. So as this is happening, of course, here we are in the Eastern Pacific in Los Angeles, but out there in the Western Pacific, there are uh, two separate uh, U.S. fleets, one, one based out of Yokohama, the 7th Fleet, and the other coming out of San Diego, 2nd Fleet, 
that have been uh, uh, concentrating on the Western Pacific because our allies there, um, from Singapore uh, to Indonesia, Australia, New Zealand, Philippines, uh, and then those with aligned interests like Vietnam don't have the military wherewithal to enforce any any kind of uh, you know international law or or even challenge China's claim to sovereignty and 12 mile 12 nautical mile limits uh, around these islands which of course would be 24 miles you know in in uh, diameter a 12 mile radius around the island uh, uh, but like a little over 24 mile diameter so it's up to the United States, and it has been for the past seven years. We've been leading the the charge in objecting to this crap, uh, and then we've been leading the charge in doing what are called phone ops, freedom of navigation operations, where uh, a U.S. Navy vessel will sail right up against the declared 12-mile nautical limit to see if we can force a reaction out of the Chinese. So um, the Shangri-La Dialogue is is where we make public statements in clear English to support our allies and to lay out for the Chinese how we feel about this. Uh, Mattis, uh, yesterday, about 24 hours ago, was crystal clear on two different things. Every every year, we have to reiterate out loud our commitment to the Republic of China or Taiwan. We don't call it Republic of China anymore. So here's Sec- SecDef Mattis. First of all, before he gets to the South China Sea and, and what China is doing, he has to lay out our commitment to each and every ally in Asia. Here's what he said to the Chinese, to the to the communist Chinese, the PRC. Here's what he said about Taiwan. The Department of Defense remains steadfastly committed to working with Taiwan to provide the defense articles and services necessary to maintain sufficient self-defense consistent with our obligations set out in our Taiwan Relations Act. We oppose all unilateral efforts to alter the status quo and will continue to insist any resolution of differences accord with the will of the people on both sides of the Taiwan Strait. So there you go. Uh, We have uh, alliances that are not as formal as NATO with Taiwan, uh, not as formal as uh, ASEAN, the the association or the, pardon me, the Alliance of Southeast Asian Nations. Uh, but certainly more more formal probably than anything we have with Israel. So that's uh, our commitment to Taiwan. And you'll notice that he said people on both sides of the Taiwan Straits need to think about that. So now here's the money shot. So uh, Mattis has been speaking for about 17 minutes. Uh, and he finally gets, uh, he's been talking about the economy. He's been talking about um, our, uh, our, our commitment to continuing cooperation with India. Uh, which is the the obvious kryptonite to China, um, our economic ties with India, uh, our military cooperation with India, uh, the even interoperability with India in in sort of a, in the same way we do with NATO, where we're we're seeking to, for instance, uh, share common calibers and uh, radio procedures and things like that. So we're we're becoming sort of de facto allies with India. So we said that which is an obvious shot across China's bow. Uh, but then Mattis got down to the nitty-gritty about how we feel in 2018 about the artificial islands or features uh, uh, that the Chinese have made. We are prepared to support China's choices if they promote long-term peace and prosperity for all in this dynamic region. China's militarization of artificial features in the South China Sea 
includes the deployment of anti-ship missiles, surface-to-air missiles, electronic jammers, and more recently, the landing of bomber aircraft at Woody Island. Despite China's claims to the contrary, the placement of these weapon systems is tied directly to military use for the purposes of intimidation and coercion. And uh, there you go. Not a lot of gray area there. And it's a reiteration of last year's Shangri-La Dialogue. Um, and even uh, during the Obama administration, we were again it. Uh, the differences last year and this year, far more symbolic military measures have been taken, not just the freedom of navigation operations. But, for instance, uh, tonight, two B-52s, uh, nighttime, our time, two B-52s from Guam, from Anderson Air, Fire, Air Force Base, uh, flew a two-plane mission into the South China Sea. Uh, this is something that's been going on now really for the past four months. If we haven't done it towards North Korea, we've done it into the South China Sea. And it's it's training for us. Um, the Chinese can interpret it any way they want, but they know what it is. It is the U.S. Air Force training to do anti-ship uh, missile strikes and anti-island, anti-fixed structure missile strikes from Guam to the South China Sea, including refueling, mid-air refueling, diversion to friendly airfields in the Philippines or Vietnam, you know, or whatever. The Chinese know full well what we're practicing for. Um, and they, they, you know, they practice for their own stuff. But uh, but anyway, we do that. So that's, that's uh, effectively what we're doing there. That's the Shangri-La dialogue. The Chinese, the reaction, I have this here from BBC, and I won't even get into the story. I just need to read you the headline. South China Sea dispute, Beijing attacks, irresponsible U.S. comments. That's what they said. Now, what you, what Mattis just said, what you just heard Mattis say, was that was irresponsible, uh, meaning it's provocative and inflammatory in the whole thing. So, uh, so anyway, that's your South China Sea Mattis update. Uh, we'll be back in just a second. It is the Dark Secret Place. Brian sits in here one last time. KFI AM six forty more stimulating talk. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. It is the Dark Secret Place. Brian Seats in here one last time. And then coast to coast tomorrow, uh, Super Hyper Local Sunday. Uh, I'll be here from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Counting down uh, the weekend in Los Angeles news from uh, the entire Southland, from Santa Barbara on south. For the 19 million of us that live down here, um, free couches, uh, homicides, hit and runs. Dog bites, all of it. We will uh, wrap up the weekend in L.A. tomorrow with Super Hyper Local Sunday. So join us, won't you please, uh, there at 8 p.m. Uh, a, a F-35 update. The F-35 Lightning II, uh, as uh, we have called it. Um, now, apparently in significant combat service from the Israeli Air Force, uh, and to good effect, uh, by the way, the Israelis over the past three months uh, as I have chronicled here on the show, uh, have have had a campaign, an aerial campaign uh, against the Iranian Islamic Republic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the, the cream of the Iranian military, the IRGC. And the IRGC is basically an industry in uh, Iran. Uh, they guard the government. They guard the revolution, as they call it. Uh, their hand is in missile development, nuclear weapon development, overseas terrorism, uh, funding terrorism, leading and directing Hezbollah, which is nothing more than a front for uh, Iran. Uh, Hezbollah doesn't fire a rocket 
at Israel without an Iranian thumbs up uh, or green light or chicken or rocket or whatever. Um, and the IRGC have seen over the, over the last couple of years uh, an opportunity, a historic opportunity in, in their view to strike directly at Israel. And uh, for, for the sake of honor, instead of using a proxy like Hezbollah or uh, Hamas uh, or, or any other Palestinian uh, terrorist group in, in the Gaza Strip or the West Bank, that they can finally sort of satisfy their honor and strike directly at Israel. Well, that brilliant idea lasted for about two weeks, uh, about three months ago. The Israelis uh, immediately began hitting uh, Iranian bases in Syria. The the Iranians actually, without permission, evidently, without uh, clearance from Putin or permission from Bashar Assad in Damascus, the Iranians just carved out some territory um, downhill from the Golan Heights and began uh, building Iranian bases and massing troops and prepositioning equipment and all this. To what end, no one really can figure out because the Iranians were not going to invade Israel. But <clears throat> what they were evidently um, looking to do would be to be in a position to finally for the first time since 1979, since the Islamic Revolution, to actually directly hit Israel, uh, Iran have uh, have done things like uh, the the terrorist attack in Buenos Aires against a, a Jewish retirement home, uh, you know, killing several dozen uh, elderly Jewish people in Argentina. So, and, and believe it or not, they passed out medals for that. They were actually proud of killing a bunch of old Jewish people. And they they uh, they got promotions. They passed out medals, uh, and it's a significant part of their history. Uh, they they consider that as honorable as defeating a brave foe on the field of battle. So that tells you something about their orientation. So their thinking was to begin a campaign uh, very similar to uh, the 2005 or and 2006 Hezbollah rocket campaigns against Israel. Only this time it would be Iranians. Uh, doing the targeting and firing the missiles at Israel. The Israelis knew this was happening. The Israelis have penetrated Syria up and down from the cell networks to the internet. And so anytime the Iranians massed rockets and troops and people, uh, the Iranians would hit them. So this has been going on now for three months. You recall about a month and a half ago, uh, a Syrian air defense crew got a piece of a Israeli F-16 the F-16 made it to Israel. The two crew members uh, ejected. They were fine, uh, but the aircraft uh, crashed in Israel. And then the Iranians flew a drone into Israeli airspace to check out the crash site, right? So the Iranians turned around and uh, hit the drone control center, the base, the whole thing, and they haven't looked back. So for the past two months, the, Ira the Israelis have been killing Iranians directly with airstrikes, et cetera. So anyway, long story short, um, apparently over the past 48 hours, the Iranians and Hezbollah are abandoning all their bases within about 50 miles of the uh, Golan Heights and the Israeli-occupied zone. Um, this is nothing short of a defeat. They know that, the, that Putin is not going to shoot down Israeli aircraft. Uh, these, the Israelis have committed the F-35 to the fight. Um, and so the Israelis have done Lockheed Martin's work for them and battle-tested the F-35 against uh, the best state-of-the-art Russian air defense. 
Um, and Putin is not coming to uh, to Iran's defense. Uh, Assad is not going to break a sweat for the Iranians or Hezbollah. Um, they're invited into the country for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to fight the rebels, not to start a war with Israel. The Israelis have displayed um, that they have absolutely no fear or intimidation when it comes to killing Iranians directly. Uh, and then the Iranians have shown, uh, because at this point they've lost several hundred guys, not just in Syria to the to the rebels in fighting. They've lost several hundred guys to the Israeli Air Force. Uh, and so this uh, actually is a is a huge embarrassment to the Iranians, but uh, they are giving up their bases and uh, and probably pulling a lot of people out of uh, Syria at this point to try to salvage some uh, some dignity out of this. Uh, all right, that is the dark secret place for June second, two thousand eighteen. Everyone, I'll be back tomorrow night at eight p.m. Uh, with Super Hyper Local Sunday. So uh, thanks to Hector and Michael Chappé, and we will see you back here on KFI AM six forty more stimulating talk.